You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. The outline of the class, there is a method to why we decide to do each one of these topics each week, and it comes from Acts chapter 2, 36 through 47, which is not in your handout. Uh, So last week was, as Fontaine said, the gospel, and if you start in verse um, 37, this is Peter who is preaching And he said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children. And going on down, um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fe- apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. So we will be talking about the gospel. Um, this was at Pentecost. Um, and then today will be repentance and belief. Then we'll have baptism, communion, prayer, and fellowship. Um, I am just a parishioner, just like you are or will be. So um, I, I don't have an official role. And you'll see a lot of the Sunday school classes are just like this, just average people that are teaching. Um, so I want to remind you what Craig said last week when he was talking about the gospel and what the gospel is. You hear this, it's good news, but if you really think about it, good news is something that has happened. Um, Good advice is something that you, it's on you. Um, so So there's a big difference between the two. And to understand the good news, you have to kind of know the bad news, right? Um, that we are, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's where this repentance comes in as a response to um, the gospel, as Fontaine said. So that's what we're going to discuss today. Repentance, we don't use that word in everyday language, do we? I mean, it's kind of rare. Um, you know, Lord Byron very famously said, only the weak repent. And uh, more recently, you'll see this on memes all the time, no regrets. Um, so is that, is that true? Is that, is that the way we really see how we are as humans? Uh, Brene Brown says, when you say no regrets, that doesn't mean you're living with courage, but living without reflection. And I think I agree with her. So there's, there's two different per- perspectives. There's a biblical perspective and the perspective of the world. And so what we're going to cover today is really three points. Um, why we should be concerned about repentance. Um, what repentance actually is. And then how repentance manifests itself in our lives. And then we're going to have some um, interactive, we'll talk about a story that's an illustration from Luke 15. I think that's in your handout. So 
So why should we be concerned about repentance? Well, to start with, we just saw how Peter, the first thing that was said to them, what shall we do now that we know we we are responsible for the death of Christ, ultimately, they're cut to the heart. What do we do? He said, repent and be baptized. But it's not just Peter that said this. It was also Jesus. And if you look at the first verse in your... Um, Handout. I'll give you a little bit of context for that. So John the Baptist had prepared the way, and Jesus was baptized by John, and then Jesus went through the temptation. And at the very beginning of the ministry, it said, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, Repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, again, another time in Matthew four seventeen, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." So notice that Jesus ties repentance to belief in the gospel. Repentance is really central to the life of the Christian. In fact, he goes so far as to say that without repentance. There's not been a proper response to the gospel, and there's no hope of heaven. And that'll get your attention. Luke 3, 13, 3. No, this is Jesus speaking. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So repent and believe in the gospel. Two key concepts that Jesus mentions at the very start of his ministry. Um, the gospel, as Greg stated, is what God has provided for us in the way of rescue through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, good news, not good advice. So what is repentance? Um, does anybody want to answer that? What is repentance? Turn away. Turn away from, yes. It's not simply I need to stop doing bad things and do good things. I need to turn over a new leaf. Um, it's a lot more than that. So what is repentance? It's literally the, the Greek is metanoia, which is a change of mind followed by a change in direction. So it's not just I, I, that's not the way I should be, but a change. And that change takes place through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, what repentance is not, sometimes it's easier for me to, to uh, get an understanding of a word if I know what the antonym is and what it's not. So it's not attrition, which is defined as regret for sin, um, maybe prompted by fear of you know, what's going to happen to me. Oh, no, I got caught. Or like Judas, he had remorse, but he didn't repent. It's closer to contrition. And it is having that feeling of, or just the knowledge of regret for the offense against God because of what God has done for me, because of my love for God and understanding what he has done. Um, 2 Corinthians seven ten and 11, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. 
For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, and also what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. Sam Storms defines repentance this way, and I like the way he, he, he um, says this. Genuine repentance begins, but by no means ends, with heartfelt convic- conviction of sin. It begins with an unequivocal, heart-rending recognition of having defied God by embracing what he despises and hating or at a minimum being indifferent to what he adores. So you think about truth. He loves truth. My lie um, would uh, be uh, embracing what God hates. you know, in any of those things, the thoughts of your of your mind, if you want to find those lists of what those sins are, it's really easy if you're trying to think, how, how am I sinning? It all starts in the heart. So repentance, therefore, involves knowing in one's heart, this is wrong, I have sinned, God is grieved, and not just a fear of retribution, but it's rooted in a higher view of God than of ourselves. Um, the antithesis of this would be something like rationalization, um, which is a selfish attempt to justify moral laxity. Well, I had to tell that lie because if I didn't, this is going to happen. Um, psychologists call these ways of dealing with it cognitive dissonance. We know something's wrong, so we've got to have excuses to bring it up. And some of those would be blame shifting. Uh, minimizing by blaming uh, circumstances on others. There is a country song, y'all probably heard it, but it ain't my fault. You heard that, but it ain't my fault. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there's a few of them that are really funny. He says, uh, I might have had a little fun, a lot of wrong got done, but it ain't my fault. Blame my reason on my name, name, blame my name on my reason, Blame my lack of knowing better on public education. Blame smoke on the fire. Blame fire on the smoke. Blame the fight on the bouncer that couldn't take a joke. It ain't my fault. <laughs> uh, another, another way that we do this is self-pity. I'm a victim. If you knew what I'd been through and how badly people have treated me, um, you'd grant me a little slack, so I have to do this, or this is okay for me because of what I've been through. Um, even even spiritualizing, God wants me to be happy. Yes, I'm, I should be able to do this because I know that God wants me to be happy. Um, J.I. Packer has uh, something that really... Um, no, this one was from Martin Lloyd-Jones. So you're thinking about... Um, that feeling that you are a sinner, I can really relate to this. I wonder if you can too. You will never make yourself feel like you are a sinner. We are all on very good terms with ourselves, and we can always put up a good case for ourselves. Even if we try to make ourselves feel that we are all sinners, we will never do it. There is only one way to know we are sinners, and that is to have the same... uh, to have some dim, glimmering conception of God. And I think that's true. Um, J.I. Packer said, Repentance only begins 
when one passes out of what the Bible calls self-deception, modern counselors called denial, and what is also what the Bible calls sin. And I meant to say, the counselors say self-deception. So how does uh, repentance and belief manifest itself? Well, there is an impact on one's life um, choices, a turning around, that, like we were saying before, and the change of mind more than just simply sorrow, from going my own way, from following my own devices and desires, to dropping everything to follow Him, trusting in Him, total and complete upending of my way, to his way. Um, and this, for me, um, involves a recognition of idols that I have built my life around, um, no longer serving them. I will say, too, as Martin Luther in his 95 Theses said, um, it's not a one-and-done thing. It's not just one time that you do this. He says, um, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed that the whole life of believers should be repentant. So is repentance accompanied by a change in behavior? Um, Early in his ministry, when answering the Pharisees, Jesus made that clear in Luke 3.11, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then when Paul was talking to King Agrippa in Acts 26, he said, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. So we can't really pursue God in our own way at the same time. Our basic way of life is either oriented towards God and His light or towards our own devices and desires. But, but we know that there's a cost to sin. We know this. Um, and that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are rescued and redeemed. So um, our response to this gospel on a daily basis is repentance and faith. So um, to sum up, repentance is not just a fear of punishment, but it's rooted in a realization of my offense to God. Um, There was a, uh, I don't know if y'all have the ESV Bible, this big old sick thing. It's not really good to carry around, but it's nice to have at home. And they've got, um, they were talking about salvation in the commentary, and I, I, really, I really liked this. It said, um, the best evidence of true salvation is not having raised a hand or prayed a prayer or having been christened or baptized. Instead, the true test of an authentic work of God in one's life is sanctification as God continues the moral transformation begun in regeneration. To be clear, that's, we're not earning our way, but that's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is making um, His home in our heart. So we've talked about why should, we should be concerned with repentance, what repentance is, and then how it manifests itself. So we're going to have some um, read a story. You know, we always learn better through stories, and Jesus knew this. So um, you've all heard this. It's called The Prodigal Son. It's probably better known uh, as Two Sons. I think um, we can see ourselves in one or both characters that are illustrated. Before we do that, does anybody have any questions or thoughts? 
Mm-hmm. Um, going back to what you said earlier, I don't know that you probably heard this, but you know, Fitz Allison has been here, uh, a retired bishop, and um, he used to say that, uh, I guess maybe it was the understanding of that you were talking about metanoia, a change of mind, but he always said it was, and he had this great South Carolina accent, he would say, metacardia is what it's supposed to be. <laughs> yes, it's I've heard. Heart. And so it's God that gives us the heart so that our mind knows these things and repents. So uh, yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, the, the meta, metanoia, the metacardia, that does, it makes a lot more sense. All right, so let's read, read along with me um, in your handouts from Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Um, and this is Jesus speaking. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. All right, so what, who or what is this story about? I gave you a hint at the beginning, but who or what is this story about? <coughs> 
It is. It's about the two brothers and the and the father, and I would say that there are two views of sin illustrated in this passage, or maybe two ways to reject the father. There's the self-discovery, live as I want to live, the first century version of you do you, um, or there's the moral conformity in order to get God to give me what I want. Um, I say there's another aspect in this story, and it's illustrated by the Father who is to be God, and uh, it's God's grace and mercy, undeserved. How did the younger brother's actions harm the father? Well, actually, let's look first at the younger brother. How did what he did hurt the father? And how did it hurt his older brother? The inheritance. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. We forget that. We forget that, that the elder brother was harmed by the younger brother's action. So there's really three ways that the younger brother's actions harmed the father and the brother. First was financial, as Fontaine said. So he took a third of his father's land because he was the second son, which could have, he could have profited from during his father's life. And lost all of it. So a whole one-third of their portfolio gone. Um, there was also a social cost. Uh, think of the shame that this brought to the family. Um, you know, sin never just affects us. It, it has a ripple effect to all of those that, lo- that we love and that love us. So we brought shame to the family and emotional. In order for him to ask for his inheritance, that was the same thing as saying, I wish you were dead. Because when you're dead, I'll get your stuff. Um, but he wished his father's dead. Uh, and, his, and think about how many, it doesn't say how many years this was, but it seems like it probably was some time. The family didn't know where he was. He didn't know, they didn't know if he was alive or dead. The anguish of all of that. So there was a financial, a social, and emotional cost. So where was the turning point for the younger son? Do you see that in the passage when he had that cut to the heart moment? Starving with pigs. Starving with pigs. And I love that uh, phrase, he came to himself. He came to himself. Um, 2 Timothy 2.26 God may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth that they come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. We think we're doing our own thing but really from God's eyes we're either following God or we've been captured by the devil to do his will. Um, okay, so let's look at the younger son's plan. And how did the father's mercy override the, 
younger son's plan. You know, he was telling himself what he was going to say when he saw his father. He, he already had a speech rehearsed. He had the speech rehearsed. That's right. Yep. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he, um, he was going to earn his way back in. He knew he didn't deserve it. He was going to earn his way back in. Um, but the father covered his nakedness. He gave him the ring, which means he could con- sign contracts on behalf of the family, putting him at equal station with the father and the elder son. He put shoes on his feet. He killed the fattened calf. It was overwhelming, undeserved grace. This is what God has done for us. Um, how did the elder brother uh, harm the father? So we think there's a harm from the younger son, but what about the elder son? How did he harm him? Blamed him. Blamed him. And you can tell this anger that the elder son has that he was obeying to get things instead of out of love for the father. He was doing the same thing the elder brother did, just in a different way, and he used the father. And Tim Keller says that a true elder brother would have seen his father's pain and gone out to find the younger brother. Um, I, I have an older brother, and there's no question he'd come, he'd come after me. <laughs> um, so some say that the main character in this parable is the elder brother, not the younger brother. Why? Why would they say that? You can't earn your way in. You can't earn your way in, exactly. Um, at the beginning of the chapter, which we don't have on your handout, Jesus was talking to the tax collectors, who would be like the younger brother, and the Pharisees, who would be like the, uh, the elder brothers. Um, the elder son used the father to get what he wanted. If I obey, I'm going to get what I want. There's nothing in Scripture that says that, um, that's a guarantee. The father entreated the elder son too, but he, the story was a cliffhanger. We don't know what the elder brother did. So I think this is, Jesus wants us to think about that. Am I seeking God's hand or am I seeking his face? Um, so uh, in summary, repentance involves not only um, the wrong that I've done, but the reasons that I did the right. Uh, paired with faith, faith believing what God says and trusting in him leading to obedience. I want to close in um, the question one from the Heidelberg uh, Catechism. I believe it's in your handout. Um, this, this is a real comfort to me to read this. In fact, I have it in my office and I read it just about every day. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me hardly willing and ready from now on to 
live for him. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your word that is such encouragement that that builds us up. Thank you for all that you've done for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.